To get this episode of Forensic Tales ad-free, please visit patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. Forensic Tales discusses topics that some listeners may find disturbing. The contents of this episode may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On June 17, 2017, Odin Lloyd received a late-night text message from his football buddy saying that he was on his way to pick him up. The friend was Aaron Hernandez, an NFL superstar for the New England Patriots worth over $40 million. Only a few hours after Aaron Hernandez texted his friend, Odin Lloyd was found shot to death inside a deserted industrial park. As soon as Odin's body was discovered, Aaron Hernandez quickly fell under a cloud of suspicion in his friend's murder. But could an NFL star athlete be involved in a first-degree murder investigation? This is Forensic Tales, episode number 152, The Murder of Odin Lloyd. Welcome to Forensic Tales. I'm your host, Courtney Fretwell Ariola. Forensic Tales is a weekly true crime podcast covering real, spine-tingling stories with a forensic science twist. Some cases have been solved with forensic science, while others have turned cold. Every remarkable story sends us a chilling reminder that not all stories have happy endings. As a one-woman show, Your support helps me find new compelling cases, conduct in-depth, fact-based research, and produce and edit this weekly show. As a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get early ad-free access to weekly episodes, shout-outs and episodes, priority on case suggestions, and access to weekly bonus episodes. To support Forensic Tales, please visit patreon.com slash Forensic Tales or simply click the link in the show notes. You can also support the show by leaving a positive rating with a review. Now, let's get to this week's episode. On June 17, 2013, workers at an industrial park in North Attleboro heard several gunshots just before 3.30 a.m. Initially, the gunshots didn't raise any alarm bells with the workers. They thought maybe some teenagers were out there playing with their parents' guns. The park was dark and remote, making it the perfect place to shoot. The industrial park was located in North Attleboro, a town in Bristol County, Massachusetts, about a 40-mile drive outside the more densely populated city of Boston. After a few seconds, the shot stopped. The workers returned to business as usual, and they wouldn't think about what they heard until later that morning. Several hours later, a teenage boy was running inside the industrial park. He was training for an upcoming track meet. As he ran through the park, he spotted a body lying face up, and the body was covered in bullet wounds. He immediately returned to the main road, where he found a guy sitting in his car. He told the man that he had just spotted a body and that they needed to call the police. When the police arrived at the industrial park, 
they found an African-American male lying on his back, face up on the ground. It was apparent that the victim had suffered several gunshot wounds to the chest and front of his body. The victim was wearing a red Boston Red Sox baseball cap. He had his wallet, a cell phone, and two sets of keys, but there was no car in sight. Since he had his wallet and cell phone, the police knew this wasn't a robbery. This victim was killed for something far more sinister than a robbery. The police identified the victim from his driver's license as 27-year-old Odin Lloyd. At the time of his murder, Odin had a girlfriend and a close family. He was a semi-professional football player and was simply an average guy. He wasn't the type of person you'd expect to find shot and killed inside an industrial park. Odin Leonardo John Lloyd was born in November 1985 on the island of St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. After living in Antigua for a few years, his family moved to Dorchester, Massachusetts. Odin and his family didn't live in the best or safest part of town. His childhood neighborhood was riddled with crime and drugs. So to stay out of trouble, Odin began playing sports. He believed that football was his golden ticket in life and one shot at success. Other people saw potential in Odin too. As a teenager, he became a star linebacker at John D. O'Brien School of Mathematics and Science. Odin helped his team get to the championships. No one at his high school could have ever imagined that he would only be gunned down at 27 years old. The police took the two sets of keys from Odin's pocket and quickly determined that one of them belonged to a rental car. They contacted the rental car company and discovered the rental car belonged to Aaron Hernandez, superstar tight end, professional football player for the New England Patriots. The first question the police had was, how is an NFL star athlete connected to a murder in North Attleboro? Aaron Joseph Hernandez was born in November 1989 in Bristol, Connecticut, a suburban city a little over 100 miles away from where Odin was murdered. Aaron and his family were well-known in Bristol. His father, Dennis Hernandez, was originally from Puerto Rico, and his mother, Terry Valentine Hernandez, was Italian. Dennis Hernandez was a star athlete growing up and wanted the same for his two sons, Aaron and his older brother, Dennis Jonathan Jr., known as DJ. When Aaron and DJ were kids, their father pushed them to become great athletes. Dennis Hernandez wanted his sons to become more successful athletes than he ever was. Aaron grew up to become a better athlete than his older brother, DJ, and his athletic abilities began to shine in high school. He went to Bristol Central High School, where he played on the school's football team. On top of football, he also excelled in basketball and track and field. Aaron quickly became an important figure on the school's football team because he could play multiple positions, including wide receiver, tight end, and defense. But not everything in Aaron's life was as bright as his high school football career. His parents had a complicated and often troubled marriage. Dennis and Terry Hernandez married in 1986 
but divorced in 1991 when Aaron was two years old. They eventually got back together and remarried a few years later in 1996. There were also very serious allegations of abuse and violence in the family. Aaron would later claim that his father, Dennis, was often abusive towards him, his older brother, DJ, and their mother. The abuse would often stem from Dennis's heavy alcohol use or if he felt like his sons weren't excelling enough in sports. When Aaron was 16 years old, his father suddenly passed away. Dennis was scheduled to go in for a routine hernia surgery when something in the surgery went terribly wrong, causing him to bleed out and die. Dennis's sudden death was tough on Aaron. Aaron had always been extremely close to his father, despite the abuse allegations. So when he died, a part of Aaron also died. By the time Aaron was a senior in high school, he had become one of the best football players in the state of Connecticut. He set state records for both receiving yards and touchdowns. These records made Aaron one of the most sought-after players for college football teams. Initially, he committed to play at the University of Connecticut, but he was eventually recruited and agreed to play for the University of Florida. He played college football for three years, but left college one year early to enter the NFL draft. He was then selected to play for the New England Patriots and was offered a $40 million contract. After Odin Lloyd's murder, word spread quickly that an NFL superstar was linked to a brutal murder. No one knew if Aaron was directly involved in Odin Lloyd's death. All they knew was that Aaron had rented the rental car that Odin was driving. The police returned to the industrial park where Odin was shot and killed, looking for evidence. They searched for footprints or anything they could find, and they eventually found several shell casings near Odin's body, some footprints in the dirt, tire marks from a car, and a discarded marijuana blunt. But they didn't find a murder weapon. After collecting the forensic evidence, the investigators went to Aaron's house to speak with him. He was the one who rented the car Odin was driving, so naturally they wanted to talk to him and find out what he knew about Odin's murder. Plus, the industrial park was less than a mile from Aaron's house. But when the police arrived, they were surprised at how he reacted. Instead of answering their questions, Aaron was uncooperative and argumentative. He wanted nothing to do with the investigation and refused to answer any of their questions. His reaction surprised the investigators. So immediately after they left Aaron's house, they looked into how Odin and Aaron knew each other. If Aaron had rented a car for him, they must have known each other. Investigators quickly learned that at the time of his murder, Odin was dating a woman named Shania Jenkins. Shania Jenkins was the sister to Aaron Hernandez's fiance, Shiana Jenkins. Aaron and Shiana met and started dating in high school in Bristol, Connecticut. Once the police established a relationship between Odin and Aaron, they began looking for anything that connected Aaron to the murder besides the rental car. A couple of officers returned to the Enterprise Car Rental Company. 
When they spoke with the employee who received the car back from Aaron, she told the investigators the car was a complete mess and was filled with trash. The employee said she threw several items from the car into a dumpster behind the Enterprise. Investigators searched the trash dumpster, and inside of it, they recovered several items, including a spent shell casing partially covered in blue bubblicious chewing gum. When they examined the shell casing, they learned that it matched the casings found around Odin's body in the industrial park. The next day, on June 18th, police searched Aaron's house for several hours. By this point, they had enough suspicion that he might have been involved in the murder. When they searched the house, they found evidence that someone had attempted to destroy several of the home's surveillance tapes. Aaron's home was equipped with dozens of security cameras, both inside and outside of the home. But when investigators arrived on June 18th, many tapes were destroyed. Investigators also learned that Aaron had hired cleaning services to clean the entire house the same day Odin's body was discovered. Aaron also turned over to the police a smashed cell phone, but the police still didn't find the murder weapon. After the police executed the search warrant on Aaron's house on June 18th, they returned a few days later. On June 26, 2013, a dozen police officers arrived at the front door and went inside. Ten minutes later, Aaron is caught by news cameras being escorted out of the house in handcuffs. Aaron Hernandez was officially under arrest for the murder of his friend, Odin Lloyd. Support for this episode comes from The Foggy Dog. If you're looking for the perfect holiday gift for the pup who has it all, The Foggy Dog now offers personalization to make your gift even more special. You can embroider or engrave your dog's name on the Foggy Dog's high-quality collars, bandanas, and beds. Plus, they just launched new ID tags. I just got one for my Golden Retriever Kona, and it's so cute. You can shop happy knowing that your order provides a pound of food to rescue shelters. Shop the Foggy Dog today at thefoggydog.com. And don't forget to use my promo code FORENSIC to get 15% off your order. That's thefoggydog.com, promo code FORENSIC to save 15% off your order. Hey, Forensic Tales listeners, Courtney here. Do you hate listening to ads? Well, you can listen to every single episode of this show ad-free through Patreon, starting for just $3 a month. And what's great? You don't have to change how you listen. You can still enjoy ad-free episodes of Forensic Tales through most podcast apps. As a patron, you'll also get other great perks, like weekly bonus episodes. This is where I give you my reaction to each week's story that I don't share in regular episodes. But more importantly, your support means I can continue to deliver high-quality weekly true crime stories. Don't forget, Forensic Tales is just a one-woman show. If you're interested in learning more, go to patreon.com slash forensictales. That's patreon.com slash forensictales. 
There's also a link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Within only a few hours of Aaron's arrest, the New England Patriots football team announced they were releasing him from the team. His $40 million contract with professional football was terminated. Aaron was charged with several counts, including first-degree murder. Police and prosecutors didn't only believe that Aaron had something to do with Odin's murder, they believed he was the gunman. While awaiting trial, Aaron was housed at the Bristol County House of Corrections Jail without bail. While he was in custody, the police arrested two other people in connection to Odin's murder. Two of Aaron's high school friends, Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace. Aaron met Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace in high school in Connecticut. After Aaron's father suddenly passed away, Aaron distanced himself from his older brother and mother. Aaron's mom quickly remarried about a year after Dennis's death, and it caused Aaron to grow apart from his mother. So when Aaron was 16 or 17 years old, he moved out of his mom's house and into his cousin's house. There, he met and started hanging out with Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace. Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace weren't good influences on Aaron. Throughout their lives, they had several run-ins with the police. By the time of Odin's murder, they both had lengthy criminal records, including several drug charges. Carlos and Ernest weren't the kind of people that you'd expect an NFL professional football player to hang out with or associate with. The police arrested Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace after discovering that Aaron was with them on the night of Odin's murder. Cell phone data and security cameras placed the three men together at the same time and place of the murder. The police found cell phone records that showed Aaron texted Carlos and Ernest the night of Odin's murder. In the text messages, Aaron told his two friends to come over. It wasn't uncommon for either men to go to Aaron's place any time of night or day whenever Aaron asked. After Aaron texted Carlos and Ernest, he sent another text to Odin Lloyd. In the text, Aaron said he was coming over to pick him up. At 11.09 a.m., a security camera installed outside Aaron's house captured Aaron, Carlos Ortiz, and Ernest Wallace getting inside a car together, headed to pick Odin up. About an hour later, at 2.08 a.m., a security camera at the Blue Hill gas station captured Aaron filling his car with gas. A few minutes later, another camera from inside the gas station captures him purchasing blue bubblicious chewing gum, the same blue bubblicious gum found wrapped around the shell casing recovered from Aaron's rental car that night. At 2.32 a.m., a camera installed on a house directly across the street from Odin's house spotted Aaron's silver Nissan Altima picking Odin up. The camera captured the moment Odin got inside the car with the three men. A camera installed at the industrial park where Odin was murdered recorded a vehicle driving into the park at 3.32 a.m. But unlike the other videos, you can't tell the car is Aaron's silver Nissan Altima. Instead, 
All the camera captures are the car's headlights. About four minutes later, the same vehicle was seen leaving the industrial park on the same road at 3.23 a.m. According to the police, this was the same time the workers heard the gunshots and Odin was believed to have been murdered. Although the camera captured a vehicle driving in and out of the area, it was impossible to tell whether it was Aaron's car. All the video proved was that a vehicle was seen driving in and out around the time of the murder. At 3.29 a.m., the same camera outside Aaron's home that captured them leaving to pick up Odin caught them coming back. But at 3.29 a.m., only three people returned to Aaron's house. Aaron Hernandez, Carlos Ortiz, and Ernest Wallace. Odin Lloyd wasn't with the group. Opening statements in the murder trial against Aaron Hernandez began on January 29, 2013. Aaron's defense opened by saying that the police and prosecutors targeted Aaron from the start. They automatically zeroed in on him because he was a superstar, a famous NFL player, and was friends with the victim. The police didn't consider any other possible suspects but the prosecutors felt like they had enough evidence to prove that Aaron was involved. They said they built a strong case against Aaron using cell phone records, text messages, security camera footage, and forensic evidence. The prosecution told the jury how Aaron texted his friends Ortiz and Wallace to come over on the night of the murder. And Aaron's text messages to Odin letting him know that they were on the way to pick him up. In addition, they showed the jury Aaron's security camera tape that showed all three of them leaving Aaron's house and a separate video showing them picking Odin up. The only thing the prosecution couldn't prove at trial was whether the car seen driving into the industrial park was Aaron's car or not. The video is dark and you can only see the car's front headlights. You can't make out who's driving the car or who's inside. You can't tell what make or model the car is. So the prosecution could only make assumptions about who the car belonged to and who was driving it. The prosecution told the jury that you don't have to see who was driving to know that it was Aaron Hernandez. The car is seen coming and leaving the industrial park at the same time that Odin was shot and killed. But if you didn't believe that, the prosecution also said they had another piece of evidence that proved Aaron's car was in the park that night. When crime scene technicians arrived at the park, they collected several key pieces of evidence. One of them was tire track marks. In the dirt near Odin's body, the police discovered tire tracks leading in and out of the area. The tracks looked like someone had driven their car there, parked, turned around, and left where they came in. When forensic technicians examined the tire tracks in the dirt, they compared them to Aaron's Nissan Altima. Tire marks at a crime scene can be incredibly useful. When investigators stumble upon tire marks, they can do several things to analyze them and match them to a particular vehicle. The first method is to photograph them. 
then use the photographs to compare against the car tires. But besides photographs, investigators can take cast molds of the marks or even lift the entire mark out of the ground. If the tire marks were created in mud or dried cement, investigators could completely cut the tracks out of the ground. If the tracks were made in soft mud or dirt, they could pour impression mold into the marks and lift an impression of them. Whatever method is used, investigators can then compare the tire tracks to a vehicle and determine if they match. At Erin's trial, prosecutors told the jury that a forensic expert matched the tire tracks found near Odin's body in the industrial park to Erin's Nissan. According to the state, this proves that the Nissan Altima was inside the park that night near Odin's body. The tire marks proved that he was there even if the security camera couldn't clearly identify the car. Prosecutors pursued first-degree murder charges against Aaron. To prove a case of first-degree murder, they needed to prove that Aaron was the shooter. They couldn't merely say Aaron was there and Ortiz or Wallace was the shooter. To get a guilty conviction, they needed to present evidence that Aaron did more than just simply be there. But Aaron's defense argued no one could prove he was the shooter. Hanging out with the wrong group of friends doesn't make someone a cold-blooded murderer. Aaron's defense told the jury that even if Aaron was with Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace that night, there was no evidence suggesting Aaron got outside the car or evidence to suggest that he was the shooter. But the prosecution disagreed. According to the state, they had forensic evidence to prove Aaron did more than simply hang out with the wrong group of friends. At the crime scene, investigators found a marijuana blunt in the dirt not far from Odin's body. The marijuana blunt was submitted to the crime lab for testing. Cigarettes or marijuana blunts can become significant evidence because they often contain DNA. When the blunt was tested for DNA, the crime lab generated a full male DNA profile from it. Once they had the DNA profile, they compared it to Aaron Hernandez's DNA, and they matched. Aaron was the one who smoked and discarded the marijuana blunt found near Odin's body. According to the prosecution, this proved that Aaron participated in the shooting because the blunt showed he got outside the car. Not only did Aaron have surveillance cameras installed outside his house, but he also had cameras inside the house. And when the police executed a search warrant of the house, they recovered video from inside the house when Aaron, Ortiz, and Wallace returned that night. A video taken from inside Aaron's living room shows him holding a black object in one of his hands. In the video, he's seen holding the black object while shutting the basement door. According to the prosecution, the black object in his hands is a gun, presumably the gun used to murder Odin. But according to Aaron's defense, the black thing he's holding can be anything. It can be a TV remote, maybe a cell phone. In a separate camera positioned in the backyard, 
Aaron's fiance is seen walking out of the house with a large black trash bag. Police and prosecutors believe the murder weapon was inside the trash bag when the fiance threw it out. And that explains why the police never found the murder weapon. When the fiance took the stand at trial, prosecutors asked her about the trash bag. She testified that Aaron had asked her to go to the basement and throw away a bag. When prosecutors asked if she looked inside the bag or knew what was inside of it, she said no. She didn't question her fiancé and threw away the bag, not even knowing what was inside. She specifically said she didn't know if a gun was in the trash bag because she had never looked inside. But according to the prosecutors, that's when they believed she took the gun out of the house before the police executed the search warrant. The gun used to kill Odin was never recovered. The strongest aspect of Aaron's case was the absence of a murder weapon. If the police had recovered the gun used to kill Odin, the gun could have been tested for DNA or fingerprints, and those results could prove who the actual shooter was. The prosecution did a good job of establishing that three people were likely with Odin when he was murdered, and they were Aaron Hernandez, Carlos Ortiz, and Ernest Wallace. The tire track evidence backed this. Aaron's DNA on the blunt found near the body, the cell phone data, and the surveillance tapes all support this theory. But what Aaron's defense hoped was that the prosecution couldn't convince a jury that Aaron was the shooter. Prosecutors wanted first-degree murder for Aaron, not second-degree or an accessory charge. They wanted the jury to find him guilty of first-degree murder because they believed he was the mastermind and he was the shooter. But according to the defense, this is where the state fell short. They told the jury the prosecution couldn't prove that Aaron was the shooter because, well, there was no murder weapon. Aaron might have been with Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace that night, But only one of them could be the shooter, and that could mean Carlos was, or Ernest was, not necessarily Aaron. There was no forensic evidence directly linking him as the gunman. Aaron's defense argued that he had no motive to kill Odin Lloyd. The two were friends, and they knew each other because Odin was dating Aaron's fiancé's sister. They also argued that at the time of the murder, Aaron was a superstar NFL tight end player planning a long career with professional football, so he wasn't planning a murder. But the prosecution believed they did find a motive for Aaron to kill his friend. According to prosecutors, Aaron's plan to murder Odin stemmed from an altercation at a Boston nightclub on June 14th. Prosecutors argued that Aaron became enraged when he saw Odin talking to some guys with whom Aaron had a previous altercation with at the club. When Aaron saw Odin talking to the men, he felt betrayed by his close friend. Later that night, Aaron sent a text message to Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace saying, quote, you can't trust anyone anymore, end quote. Although the inciting incident was small, 
a conversation between Odin and a few guys at a nightclub, the prosecution argued this was all Aaron needed to murder his friend. Prosecutors presented the jury with text messages Odin sent his sister after Aaron, Ortiz, and Wallace picked him up that night. The text messages suggested that Odin knew something was wrong and wanted people to know where he was just in case something happened. Shortly after Odin got inside of Aaron's car, he texted his sister, Did you see who I'm with? Another text read, NFL. Then finally, his last text before he was killed read, Just so you know. Right before the trial went to closing arguments, the prosecution presented one last key piece of forensic evidence to the jury, and that was the shell casings found inside Aaron's rental car. Immediately after the murder, Aaron returned the Nissan rental car to the Enterprise Company. When the workers received the car, they cleaned out several items from the car and dumped them in the trash. When the police arrived, the contents were still there, so they searched the dumpster. Inside, they found a shell casing that matched the casing near Odin's body at the industrial park. But it wasn't just that the shell casings matched. It was wrapped with blue bubblicious bubblegum. According to the prosecution, the gum further proved that Aaron was the shooter. Surveillance cameras inside the gas station where the men stopped that night showed Aaron buying the same kind of blue bubblicious gum in the convenience store. And that same gun was found on a shell casing recovered from inside Aaron's rental car. In closing arguments, Aaron's defense finally admitted that yes, he was at the murder scene, but they denied that he was the gunman. Instead, the defense pointed the finger at the other two men there that night, Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace. Aaron's defense said this about what happened. Quote, Aaron was a 23-year-old kid who witnessed something, a shocking killing committed by someone he knew. He really didn't know what to do, so he just put one foot in front of the other. End quote. The prosecution's closing arguments said the forensic and physical evidence proved that Aaron was the shooter. The text messages, the camera footage, the tire tracks at the murder scene, the shell casing covered in bubblicious gum found inside his rental car, the DNA found on the marijuana blunt at the scene, and the video taken from inside Aaron's home right after the murder where he is seen holding what they said was a gun, the murder weapon. The jury deliberated for more than 35 hours over the course of six days. The amount of time they deliberated gave the defense hope that maybe they weren't convinced of Aaron's guilt. But after more than 35 hours, they came back with a decision. They found Aaron guilty a first-degree murder for murdering Odin Lloyd, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The once NFL superstar with $40 million was now going to become an inmate 
at the Cedar Junction Correctional Institution, a maximum security prison less than two miles from Gillette Stadium, where he used to play tight end for the New England Patriots. On May 12, 2013, Ernest Wallace was acquitted of first-degree murder, but he was found guilty of being an accessory after the fact of a crime. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. His friend Carlos Ortiz pleaded guilty to being an accessory after the fact of the crime on June 27, 2016. He received the same sentence as Wallace for his role in the murder. Following his conviction for Odin Lloyd's murder, Aaron was accused of two other homicides. On May 15, 2014, Aaron was indicted for a double murder outside a Boston nightclub in 2012. In July 2012, 29-year-old Daniel Deabru and 28-year-old Safrio Furtado were gunned down in a drive-by shooting outside the Cure Lounge on Tremont Street. The murder investigation was cold until the police received numerous tips that Aaron Hernandez was involved. The indictment alleged that Aaron shot and killed the two men after an altercation inside the nightclub. According to prosecutors, Aaron became angry after one of the men accidentally spilled a drink on him inside the club. He felt disrespected, and when they got outside the club, Aaron got inside his car drove past the two men sitting in their car and opened fire. Both were pronounced dead at the scene. In April 2017, while already serving a life sentence for Odin Lloyd's murder, Aaron went on trial for the 2012 double murder. But unlike his first conviction, he was acquitted of the murders. The jury didn't find enough to prove that Aaron was the gunman. And following their decision, he was acquitted of both murders. But the trial's aftermath didn't have much effect on Aaron's situation. He was still serving a life sentence for Odin's murder. Four days after his acquittal for a double murder, something extremely unexpected happened. On April 19, 2017, correctional officers found Aaron hanging from his bedsheets inside his prison cell. Prison officials did everything they could to revive him, but he was ultimately pronounced dead at 4.07 a.m. Aaron Hernandez killed himself. Aaron's family long believed that he suffered from long-term brain damage from playing football. They specifically believed he suffered from the brain condition CTE, a progressive brain condition caused by repeated blows to the head and repeated concussions. This condition has been found in several former NFL players over the years, and it's also been linked to violent behavior and suicides. Following his suicide, his brain was sent to researchers and doctors at Boston University to be studied. The neuropathologist who examined his brain found that Aaron's brain had far more damage than any other athlete his age should have. The doctor found he had stage 3 CTE, and they had never seen so much brain damage in anyone younger than 64. Aaron was only 27. 
Once it was announced that Aaron suffered from a severe case of CTE and brain damage, everyone wanted to know, was his brain damage the cause of his behavior? Could CTE make a star NFL player turn violent and murder his friend Odin Lloyd? According to the researchers at Boston University, the simple answer is, we don't know. In a statement to NPR, one of the researchers said, quote, We can't take the pathology and explain the behavior, but we can say collectively that individuals with CTE of this severity have difficulty with impulse control, decision-making, aggression, often emotional volatility, and rage behavior, end quote. Following Aaron Hernandez's suicide, his attorneys filed a motion to vacate his murder conviction of Odin Lloyd. On May 9th, 2017, the motion was granted technically, meaning Aaron died an innocent man pending an appeal. Under state law, when a criminal defendant dies before they have exhausted all of their appeals, the conviction may be vacated and the defendant may be considered innocent. At the time of his suicide, Aaron was actively appealing his conviction in the Odin Lloyd case. On May 13, 2019, the state Supreme Court reinstated Aaron's conviction, but ruled that the trial court would note that his conviction was neither affirmed nor reversed. No one might ever be able to explain how a young, 20-something-year-old superstar NFL player worth over $40 million could turn into a cold-blooded killer. Maybe it was the years of brain damage and concussions he suffered while playing football. Or maybe it was something else. Whatever the case, forensic evidence pointed to Aaron Hernandez as the man who gunned down his friend, Odin Lloyd. To share your thoughts on the murder of Odin Lloyd, be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. To find out what I think about the case, sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash forensic tales. After each episode, I release a bonus episode where I share my personal thoughts and opinions about the case. You'll want to check this one out because I'm going to share what I think happened to Aaron Hernandez. Don't forget to subscribe to Forensic Tales so you don't miss an episode. We release a new episode every Monday. If you love the show, consider leaving us a positive review or tell friends and family about us. You can also help support the show through Patreon. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please join me next week. We'll have a brand new case and a brand new story to talk about. Until then... Remember, not all stories have happy endings. Forensic Tales is a Rockefeller audio production. The show is written and produced by me, Courtney Fretwell Ariola. For a small monthly contribution, you can help create new compelling cases for the show, help fund research, and assist with production and editing costs. For supporting the show, 
you'll become one of the first to listen to new ad-free episodes and snag exclusive show merchandise not available anywhere else. To learn about how you can support the show, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Forensic Tales, or simply click the support link in the show notes. You can also support this show by leaving a positive review or telling friends and family about us. Forensic Tales is a podcast made possible by our Patreon producers, Tony A., Nicole L., David B., Nicole G., Paula G., Christine B., Karen D., Sherry A., Elizabeth M., Michael D., Lisa S., and Nicola. If you'd like to become a producer of the show, head over to our Patreon page or send me an email at Courtney at ForensicTales.com to find out how you can become involved. For a complete list of sources used in this episode, please visit ForensicTales.com. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Until then, remember, not all stories have happy endings.